It is so good to be back with you guys. I miss preaching terribly when I'm away. I love the fact that Father James is there and can do a great job, but I miss it. Um, I do not miss wearing the mask, I'll tell you that. Um, If you don't know, uh, this is the time of the year when I go off into the wilderness. Man, that Psalm 65 was like, I I tell you, there was a part of me that almost just ran out the back door because I've still got my my pack is still in my car and went right back up to the mountains because, you know, yes, the mountains are the lords and the rivers and the valleys and the meadows. And so uh, my brother and I are section hiking the Appalachian Trail or Appalachian Trail, as I was corrected. And uh, we are up in Virginia, so we had a great time. For me, that trip is sort of a recalibration. Uh, I, I, I walked 45 miles, sweated immensely, um, and I just come back sort of re, recalibrated. I just, you know, I'm just, when you have to worry about if you're going to have enough water or enough food, and you just don't know how you're going to get the strength to get over a mountain, all of this is put in perspective. And so I'm grateful for it. Well, in a certain way, I want to suggest to you, I'm not just sharing about my trip today, I want to suggest to you that Matthew 13, in a sense, is sort of like a recalibration. It's actually placed in the very middle of Matthew's gospel, although we know there's actually 28 chapters, so 14 would technically be the middle, but this is the end of chapter 13, it's the end of the third section of teaching that Jesus does. Matthew divides his gospel into five teaching sections. The great Son of the Mount being the first teaching. And then there's, there's four more. And they end up with the, the parse passage probably most of you are familiar with about the separation of the sheep and goats. That's in the last teaching sections around chapter 25. Jesus it comes to this pivotal point in his ministry. And Matthew records it in such a way that we know that Jesus is talking about all, that, that, that is, all the opposition that is rising to, in front of Jesus. And He is bringing people to a point of making a decision about responding to Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? Right? That that phrase actually appears in Scripture, and and it actually is helpful for us to think about what will we do with Jesus individually, each of us, as a community? What will we do with the person of Jesus? So I want to suggest to you that this can be a little bit of a recalibration. We're here in the middle weeks of the summer, uh, July. I know we had a a dismal attendance last week, but it was Fourth of July weekend after all, and uh, it's so good to see all of you here today. And I I just want to say to us, this is a great opportunity for us to examine our hearts, examine our spiritual lives, and and ask the Lord to recalibrate us just as he did uh, for me on my trip. What will we do with Jesus? We begin today with the parable. There's, by the way, there's seven parables in Matthew 13, 13th chapter of, of Gospel of Matthew, and um, so, many of them deal with soil or seed or planting and this is painful for me because I started a COVID-19 garden and it has not gone well. Uh, the only thing that actually, God's sense of humor, the only thing that really grew well was the uh, eggplant, which I don't like eggplant, but Jody's benefited from a rich abundance of eggplant. Everything else has been tragically lost um, or has come in in such weird forms that, that, um, that I am humbled, especially since I'm a farmer by name. 
My grandfather would be so disappointed in me, but, and my grandmother more, more importantly, because she tended the garden. But uh, anyway, um, but a lot of them deal with soil or seeds or farming because that was something very practical and real and knowledgeable to all the people. Um, they would have understood those analogies or those metaphors in, in, in brilliant ways, the way we would Zoom calls or, you know, waiting in lines at whatever store or restaurant you happen to be trying to patronize. Interestingly, Jesus gives us the answer key. I read it to you, right? He, he translates the parable for us. And so we're able to kind of make a quick application of, oh, okay, so the hard soil is this, the path is this, and the, the rocky soil and the thorny soil and the good soil. So, okay, I got it, Jesus. Thank you for explaining it to me. But before we jump into this, and again, this is going to be the next three weeks looking at parables in chapter 13, I want to give you a, I want to answer a couple of questions I think are, are important to think about before we jump into the parables. And they are these. What is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? What is, what is meant by that? Because Jesus uses that phrase a lot, and he'll use it in these parables. And then secondly, what in the heck is a parable, and why does Jesus insist on using them so often? Well, the first question, what is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? Well, I want to suggest to you that the kingdom, first of all, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is not primarily focused on the kingdom to come when Christ returns and the, the judgment of the world comes and, and we, we, we move into eternity with the Lord. Although, come Lord Jesus, it's getting pretty crazy out there, right? But I want to suggest to you that that's not primarily what Jesus has in mind. There is always a, a future aspect to the kingdom. We know that. But primarily when Jesus says the, the kingdom is among you or the kingdom is at hand, he's talking about the kingdom coming into this world. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean a physical kingdom, although we might derive the word basilica from basilia, which is the Greek word used for kingdom in the scriptures in the Greek. But it's not about a physical kingdom. It's not about a place. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it is a kingdom. It's not a metaphor. It's a real kingdom, but it's not a physical kingdom. And secondly, it, it's not the church, which I know sounds strange that a priest of the church would say that the kingdom is not the church, but it's not. Now, the hope is that the, the church will be a signpost of the kingdom, that will be signs pointing to the kingdom the way there's signs around the property that, that points you how to come into this place. Hopefully, we as the church are like those signposts. We're pointing people to the kingdom, but we're not the kingdom. Even though many who are followers of the king, who are loyal subjects of Jesus the king, are members of the church, and we should be members of the church, we have to admit that not everything that is done by the church is of the kingdom. Amen? And that's part of the reason why we come under such scrutiny by the culture around us because oftentimes we get sidetracked and we become fascinated with little stupid things like color of carpet and style of music and who should get ordained and when we should baptize and all those things can distract people not that all those are unimportant but they can distract people from the kingdom of God and that's what we're called to be a part of to be signpost to the kingdom. So it's, it's not a physical kingdom. It's not, because um, the kingdom of God, let's be honest, the kingdom of God physically is the whole world, the whole creation. He's the, he created the world, so therefore he is king of the world. 
And so in terms of the creation, he's already, it, this is his kingdom. That's not in question. But when Jesus talks about the coming of the kingdom, he in fact is ta- talking about coming into the hearts of human beings. He's talking about the, the kingdom coming to us who are men and women, those who are made in his image. You see, we are a rebellious people. We have, in Adam and Eve, as we read a few weeks ago in the Romans passage, we have rebelled against God. And so we're in opposition to the rightful rule of God, our King. And so when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he is talking about the opportunity for rebels to come home and to be reestablished under the rightful rule of God, who is king of the world. Now, I just watched Hamilton, and I know, you know, there's a bit of me is, you know, the, 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 the funny character in Hamilton is King George III, right? It, which is a hilarious portrayal. Of, if you haven't seen it, I'm not recommending it. There's some bad things there, but, but I, I did watch it. And, and we make King George the brunt, of the brunt of the jokes. Why? Because we're Americans, and we have no king. Although we would have let George Washington become our king if, if he had wanted to. Thank God he didn't. But, but we, there's a part of us that, that wants, to, wants to have nothing to do with monarchy. We, 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 yeah, we spit on monarchy. Blah, blah. But while the brotherhood of all Christians is a democracy, when it comes to the divinity of God and the, the rightful leading of, the, of God who is our father, it's a monarchy. We we serve under him if or we are rebellious of him and his kingdom. So when Jesus talks about the coming of the kingdom, it's about the reigning of Jesus in the hearts and minds of people, giving him control, submitting to his will, seeking his justice. What does Isaiah 55 say? My ways are not your ways. And he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. There are things that God wants to teach us that we do not know. And that as rebels, we will never understand. But the kingdom of God is coming, Jesus says, because God is making a way for you to come back under the authority. Now, you know, in the ancient world, if you, if you rebelled against the king, your head was gone, right? If he got a hold of you, you were dead. But not so King God the Father, he, he wants to bring rebels back. He wants to restore them. And, and that is the good news of the kingdom. And so I, I say this and I labor this because this is going to come up again and again in these parables. Jesus is coming to declare the kingdom, the rightful rule of God, reestablished in the hearts and minds of men and women. Now, it will be through Jesus who, of course, God the Father makes king of kings and lord of lords. But it's the kingdom, it's the reestablishment of this that is the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. Wherever people worship and obey Jesus as king, there is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God also is where the characteristics of Jesus are displayed. Redemption. Mercy, sacrifice, love that's willing to lay its life down, surrender its rights, compassion, 
These are characteristics of Jesus and they're characteristics of his kingdom. A couple of weeks ago, I was, was having a lively conversation with somebody. And, uh, and, and by the way, my sermon a couple of weeks ago on racial justice, lots of feedback. So thank you for that. On either social media, I got some shout outs. I got some phone calls and uh, most of it very positive. But a few people challenged and, and rightfully so. You should always feel like you can challenge me as, as I, when I say something from this pulpit. It's not a bully pulpit. It, there is a chance to respond. But one of the people we were talking, I, I had to just say, you know, at some point I feel as if th- that there's, there's not a love in what you're saying. And humbly, let me suggest that whatever we say, if it's a part of the kingdom, it should be motivated by a love. A willingness to lay down our rights. A, a desire to see the betterment of the other person. To understand before we're understood. That's what the kingdom looks like. So this week, the kingdom looked like um, men and women from all over the county going out to the uh, fairgrounds and giving food out to those who are in need without passing judgment on them because they have dignity and worth and because we don't want to see any human being hungry The kingdom is uh, a group of women gathered on a Zoom call sharing about their lives and asking each other to pray because they desperately need the the bonds of love that comes out of Christian community. The kingdom of God is, looks like a million different ways that people offer themselves taking groceries to somebody in the community that's, that's, that's in need, that doesn't have money this week to, to meet their needs of their family. It's, it looks like many different things, but it, it always resembles Christ. Jesus comes to declare the kingdom, and he also comes to demonstrate the kingdom. I know I'm belaboring this, but this is going to come up on every parable. And if you miss it, if you don't understand what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is, you're going to misunderstand what Jesus is calling us to. By the way, when he says the kingdom of heaven, he's not saying, you know, kingdom of heaven when we get there. He, you remember we pray in this Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's to have the characteristics of God, but lived out in this creation, in our world, in how we love and treat one another with love and respect. The kingdom is not transactional. This is where I get in trouble with evangelicals a little bit. It's not transactional. It's not simply a matter of just praying the sinner's prayer of understanding that Jesus died for your sins and asking Jesus to forgive you. It's not just that. Let me, before you throw anything, let me explain. Because to to proclaim that Christ, to ask Christ to, to be your Savior is also to ask him to be your Lord. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's Paul, right? That's Paul, Romans chapter 10. It's not transactional. It's about, it's about an experienced knowledge and it's, it's about faith that actually makes us take steps and begin to, to demonstrate what we say. Entering the kingdom begins with confessing that Jesus is Lord, 
believing that God sent Christ to be the redeemer of the world and asking him to come and forgive you. And that's the way you enter the kingdom, but it can't simply stop there. It's a, it's a life of seeking to be submitted to Christ. You know that. I just have to be provocative in the way I say it. It's, it's not just transactional. It's lived out. It's lived out in the same way that, um, ex- let, me, let me just give you a practical example. It's lived out in the same way that understanding about compound interest is lived out experientially. Now, most of you, I would dare say all of you understand compound interest, right? That over time, that, you know, interest applied to money has an exponential growth. But I dare say in a group even of this size, there are some of you who have never experienced exponential growth, compound interest. That's the difference. You see, Mentally, I can assent to the idea that, yeah, compound interest, that if I put a little bit of money away in my 20s, by the time I'm 53, I'll have this compound interest will have just, you know, multiplied this money. But because I didn't do it in my 20s, I have no experiential knowledge of it. In theory, it works. But I've raised three kids, and my wife stayed home for a lot of that time. And so I know very little about the experiential knowledge of it. I I have to begin to actually put money into a savings account or another, not a savings account, but some other form of interest-bearing mechanism so that I can actually experience exponential compound interest. Now, I have a retirement account, and I am experiencing it there in theory. But, But you get my point, People can say, I, I understand compound interest, but if you've never actually ex- done it, if you're not benefiting from it, then it really isn't experiential knowledge for you. It's just, in theory, it works. And I hate to say it, but there's some people in the church that go, yeah, I don't understand how it works, but in theory, Jesus died for my sins and I'm forgiven and I have a new life in Christ. But they've not stepped into that life. They've not stepped out by faith on that knowledge and begun to experience the knowledge that Christ, yes, has come to redeem my life. Now, many of you have, and many of you that are watching online have, but many, many more in the church have not. And that's why, again, I draw this all out. A lot of background today. Promise that next week there'll be less background, more to the, to the fruit of it. So, okay, so that's the first thing we need to think about. Whew. Okay, what is the kingdom? What is a parable? Why does Jesus use the parables? Two reasons. One, the power of story. When you tell a story about something to relate to something else, it's more memorable. It helps get in your mind. It's why we love to hear stories. You love to hear a story about me going on my hiking trip. You'll remember that, whether you remember anything else. Uh, you'll remember maybe the compound interest story because a story that, that relates to something else is more memorable. It's just the way our human brains work. Jesus understood that. He used parables. He also, we're told, used them because it required a response on the part of the listener if they were to truly understand what he was talking about. Now, don't just take it my word. Hear what Jesus says, because after he tells the parable of the soil, Jesus then is alone with the disciples, and the disciples begin to say to him, why do you speak in parables? This is verse 10, chapter 13. And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. 
For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will, not be, will be taken away. What is Jesus talking about there? He, he's not saying that I'm going to let some people know and some people not. It's not that he's trying to be exclusive. What Jesus is trying to say is the one who has enough desire to pursue it, who, 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 who seeks to understand more, more will be given. But to the one who doesn't even understand what he's got, it'll be taken away from him. Now, for a long time, I thought this was just talking about faith. But I don't think it's about faith. I think it's about, it's about knowledge of the kingdom. It's about an understanding. When we hear the word of God, when we hear the word of the kingdom, it's an opportunity for us to embrace it and to grasp it. And later on, we'll talk about a parable about a guy that sells everything and buys this piece of land because he's got a hold of something really important. But for other people, they kind of hold it lightly and think, oh yeah, part of my life is this knowledge of the kingdom. And they think, I'll come back to that later. And you know what? They come back and it's evaporated. And, and, no, and I'd, sadly, we know people that, that are in that situation. That they were so enthusiastic at first about this, the kingdom of God and Jesus and the church. And, and, and they just, it just evaporated. Michael Green, who some of us remember, came to uh, Servants way back in 2007. Uh, Michael Green um, quoting uh, T.F. Torrance, who's a famous theologian of the uh, 20th century, or maybe even the 19th century. Torrance says this about parables. Jesus deliberately concealed the word in parable, lest men and women, against their will, should be forced to acknowledge the kingdom. And yet, he allowed them enough light to convict and to convince them. Jesus never wants to overwhelm our human will, our human ability to respond. And so he spoke in parables to see who would seek him more, who would grow closer. He who has ears, let him hear is what Jesus said, which is an interesting metaphor in itself, isn't it? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So all that's important to understand what Jesus means when he explains the parable of the soil to us. We, Jesus says, are confronted with the knowledge of the, the word of the kingdom, the knowledge of the word of the kingdom, and it's up to us to decide what type of soil we can be. Will we experientially know the kingdom? Will we seek to understand? And so Jesus draws out these paths, and so we've already talked about the, the path, the 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 path where the seed falls and, and it's snatched away. But then Jesus goes on to talk about the rocky soil. Jesus says that there's some, some seed, which is the word of God, the word of the kingdom, the knowledge of the kingdom. It comes to us and, and, and we are enthusiastic at first. We're, we're joyful, but we don't take root. And so our our understanding, our knowledge of the kingdom is shallow. There's no rootedness in it. And so then when, 
we hear something we don't like or people begin to challenge us or harass us. When it gets hard, did you hear about the church in Ocala? The car ran into Prince of Peace Catholic Church in Ocala and had an accelerant. It was trying to, to burn the church. I mean, when things get hard, when, when we face things like racial justice issues and, or, or whatever it is or, or the sanctity of human life or any of these things that can be so divisive in our culture and when, we, when the kingdom of God confronts us with these things, if we don't have a rootedness, if we don't understand the depth of the gospel, then our faith is shallow, Jesus says. And when those challenges come, those harassments come, our likelihood is that we bail. And sadly, There's two problems in the church, getting people to come and hear the gospel and keeping them from running out the back door. Because when it gets hard, if our faith is shallow, if our knowledge is basic and we don't have a real understanding that that sacrifice and suffering is a part of it, I, I have no idea if there's a great persecution of the church coming. But I, here's what I know. That if it does come, it's, it's right on point for what it looks like to follow Jesus. Because Jesus himself faced extreme persecution. Why would we think that the kingdom of God would be made up of anything less than that? And if we happen to live in a time of peace, we need to understand that's an unusual time in the history of the world. And that the kingdom of God is always going to be attacked against the powers and the principalities and the systems of this world. Jesus talks about the thorny soil. That soil has deep roots. It has more knowledge. But what happens in that case? The thorny roots, it's not that they don't, it doesn't go deep and it has a greater understanding. But there's still a lack of understanding in the sense that as it grows up among the weeds, it becomes entangled with things that choke out the plant. See, I think my squash and my, my cucumbers did a number on my tomato plants. I think that's what happened. I think my plants were too dense in my little garden. And that same way, weeds can choke out. But what are these weeds, Jesus says? These are, these are the, the cares of the world. These are the deceitfulness of riches. Jody and I are on the precipice. We've got one more to get graduated from college. I mean, she's like down to her last couple of semesters. And then we got a wedding to pay for, but just one more. And then we, we are, we're going we're gonna to understand that, that middle class, comfortable financial position. Maybe. But Jesus warns us of the danger, the deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of comfort. You see, there's a lot, of, a lot of talk and a lot of things, and people have been sending me stuff about uh, religious persecution, things like this, and, and God bless them, I, I love them, but I wonder how much are we really worried about the gospel not being preached or the church being held back from accomplishing its mission, and how much are we worried about it affecting our bank accounts, our ability to buy and sell things, our creature comforts, our entertainment. 
These are not things of the kingdom. These are things that easily choke out. Now, Jesus will say, the Lord understands that you need all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. And Jesus wants to make sure we're weary and aware that that thorny soil, the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches will easily choke out the knowledge of the kingdom in our lives. It's just not practical. Sorry, Jesus, it's just not practical. Can't take that financial risk because it wouldn't be prudent. Not practical. It's in me too. Believe me, I'm a physical conservative. I don't, I don't want to take financial risk. I'm looking forward to that day when I reach that comfortable place. But I'm also convicted that Jesus is saying how easy it can become a chain around my neck and a hindrance to the kingdom of God growing in me in knowledge. Well, I've already preached too long, but let me just say the good soil, the good soil is an amazing, and if you, if you will, this is the punchline of the parable for Jesus because the, the parable the punchline is, but the good soil produces 100 or 60 or 30 fold of return of yield. Now, for a farmer, 10 to 20% yield. For this farmer, 2% yield would be good. But for a, a real farmer, 10 to 20% yield would be great. But, but Jesus says 30 is the minimum. You know, that's the, that's the person who's just kind of, you know, has a quiet life and a very small ministry and is obscure and is never really known outside their small circle. Still blessed, and even they have a 30% return. But some will have a 60 and even a hundredfold return. Jesus says if you allow the kingdom to grow in you if, you, if you dare to keep walking with Jesus and not being thrown off by the things that would easily cause you to shrink back, the rewards of the kingdom are astronomical. I want that. I want that. I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to joy and relish in the in the the increase of the kingdom, not from my glory, but because I want to see the kingdom flourish. I want to see exponential growth and feeding of the poor and pastors coming together, black, brown, and and Caucasian pastors to plan service of unity. I want I want to see exponential growth and 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 Zoom studies where people come together and listen to each other and try to grow in their understanding of what God's justice looks like. I want to see these things and and I want to avoid the status quo because the status quo is always the thorny, rocky, or hard soil. Let me conclude. If you are the good soil, know that everything you have sacrificed for the kingdom or will sacrifice for the kingdom is worth it. The enemy will tell you it's not. But I'm here to tell you, the word of God says that there will be a 30, 60, or 100 fold. Everything you've sacrificed for the kingdom of God is worth it. If you're, 
you, if, if you say, you know, Alex, I think I'm in that thorny or rocky soil category, then realize Jesus is not condemning you. He is simply warning you, and he's calling you to repentance. Where the parable breaks down is that we can change the soil. What is it? Is your faith shallow? Seek people who can help you grow deeper. If you know you're double-minded and confess that. Find accountability. And if you're watching or if you're here and, and you say, you know what, Alex, I'm, I'm the seed that's on the path and the enemies, there's so many things to distract me right now. I'm likely just to allow that, that kingdom knowledge just to evaporate. Know that the king of the world, King Jesus came and he died for you. He died for your faithless heart. He died for your rebellion. He died for your, your self-centeredness. He, he died for all that, that he might demonstrate his love. And then he might call you into his kingdom today. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33. Now all these things will be added unto you. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek to be that good soil. Look for signs of the kingdom. Be a signpost of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.